Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly podcast. My name's Simon Nameby and I'm your guest host this week to have a deep dive conversation with a good friend of mine, Pete Arnott. Pete is a golf coach with a research interest in skill acquisition and we've had many great conversations um, around skill acquisition, constraints and that approach and, and the practical applications of it and that's why I wanted to talk to Pete today and, and give people a bit more of a practical insight into how he has modelled his business as a as a golf coach on on that approach and the various um, various issues and uh, problems and obstacles that he's come up with and how he's how he's worked his way around them, so uh, delighted to wel- welcome you to the podcast, Pete. How are you? No, good, thank you. So yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Like it's uh, we've had many of these conversations, but this is our second recorded one, isn't it? It yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I did one for you, and you've done one for me now. So. Exactly. Um, where do we start? I think you, you, we we met what Twitter eight nine years ago now maybe yeah I know it's frightening isn't it when kind of Twitter was kind of burgeoning with skill acquisition stuff and constraints yeah. led stuff and it's kind of quieting down a wee bit now but uh, we uh, myself you and Uppy Mark Upton I remember we got involved in quite a lot of good conversations didn't we yeah yeah right so. You were going to ask a question about skillful. Yeah, I was going to just sort of say um, skill and skillful are, are words that are often thrown around when we're talking about players and in certain situations. Oh, he's such a skillful player. And uh, I think it's quite interesting that we use, a lot of words are used in our sort of popular sporting society. Mm-hmm. And they actually mean a lot of different things to different people. And you can say skillful and that might mean something totally different to someone else. But... I'm interested to talk to you to try and get a, a, a lid on what that sort of really means when we're, we're taking a slightly research and academic background and how that uh, translates into a, a practical sense. Well, I don't know if I'll get the, the research terms exactly like, but my, I suppose my definition of it is, you know, are you skillful in that domain? So like, like if you look at, if you strip it back as what is skillful, so a skillful rugby player, a skillful golfer, you know, you can you could be skillful at keepy uppies with a golf ball, right? But that is not skill that you're not a skillful golfer, yeah. So it's it's domain specific as well, isn't it? So so you know, again, you could say like a, a trick shot artist with a football could be skillful, but he's not actually a skillful footballer, yeah. It always amazes me when you see those trick yeah. shot guys when yeah. you go to the golf courses, and they're yeah. Yeah. unbelievable. You think, why aren't they? Why aren't they playing on the pro tour? And there's obviously a reason yeah. for that, which we'll get to a little bit later. But uh-huh. so I suppose my definition is like, well, what if you're looking at the domain that you're coaching and you're playing in? Like, what is skillful? Like, like what is a skillful golfer? What is a skillful rugby player? Right. So. A skillful golfer can adapt to situations, lots of different environmental conditions, um, can have have has numerous solutions to to one task. Um, so for me, that would be a skillful golfer. Yeah, and obviously has certain psychological traits as well that they can I can cope with in inverted commas pressure. Yeah. So often, um, because we see skill, technique, all these kinds of words sort of in, used interchangeably, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I've come across you come across this quite a lot of in S and C at the minute because 
we'll talk about skills, drills, and all that kind of thing. And and I often look at it, and so someone will give. Uh, uh, there have been various um, national governing body programs that I've working with. They say, oh, "We're going to practice this skill and then go into this drill." And I'm looking at it, thinking, "You've got that the wrong way around because the drill is, you've got the skill is like." The running part the drill is where you're isolating that technique and, and working on yeah. some sort of foundation so yeah. i think people sometimes use a lot of these terms interchangeably don't they you know between yeah. skills techniques drills that kind of thing so mm. what what are your sort of thoughts on if you were going to broadly say to people how you would say a skill versus a technique versus a whereas also abilities drills what sort of roughly you know in, in, in common practical terms Right, so I mean, if we go back for talking about skillful there, so you 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 break it for me. I always break it down of like, if you're if, if this is where we're trying to get to, right? So like a skillful golfer, then what do, what drills and techniques do we need to introduce that are going to transfer as quickly as possible? Yeah. So if you're doing stuff that's decontextualized, like that that has no relevance to the actual game, then it's not going to be that transferable potentially you know examples of that would be i suppose in rugby just standalone passes to each other with no oppositions wouldn't it yeah and and in golf course it would be flat lie driving range same target over and over again yeah where you've not got the environmental conditions there you've got different lies different winds different grasses you know so and if you went even further with that, is decomposing the actual movement, so like breaking the movement into parts, yeah. So the 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 actual golf swing into you know five six parts, where you know that unless it's for a specific purpose, generally that's not going to transfer as well, yeah. It's it's interesting because I always say everything has been a sort of pendulum. So yeah. you, you tend to have two ends of a spectrum and and the, the pendulum swings from one end to the other. And when the pendulum reaches one extreme, people have to give it a huge push in the other direction and they tend to yeah. overstate mm-hmm. their case. But if you look at sport, so, you know, something like golf or rugby, mm-hmm. it would have started off as the game and then people mm-hmm. would have started to practice the game and they would have done it mm-hmm. in a fairly, as you said, then a representative environment. It's like they would have mm-hmm. been playing small games of yeah. rugby to practice for playing the game of rugby. And eventually mm-hmm. we ended up in this situation and I think golf is pretty bad for this, more than so than most other sports, where we have this huge decomposition and breaking everything down into its constituent parts. And so, mm. you know, why so why did that happen? You know, how has that come about? Golf. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, a big question, but you could link it back to the commercialization of golf coaching, yeah, and not not just that. That's uh, but for she's but. Um, also driving ranges you know so driving ranges what like if i'm a golf coach so i remember i got i got offered a job a few years ago at a driving range only they didn't have a golf course and i i refused the job or turned it down because as a golf coach what what availability what, what can i teach on a driving range i'm very limited yeah um because it's same lie, flat lie, same ish direction. Yeah. So, what am I generally going to do with a golfer that comes into me? I'm going to look at the golf swing. Yeah. I'm going to break the golf swing into parts. And, and you can still use all the 
the skill acquisition literature on analogies, visual cues, metaphors on that on that driving range, but it's still it's still decontextualized, right? So the the easier way and the commercialization is to to sell by the hour, sell by the half hour. You know, somebody comes in, gets a quick swing check on a driving range, and then off you go. Yeah, but then generally you see very little transfer when that happens. Yeah. Because, as you know, changing movement, and especially uh, most of my client base is 47-year-old affluent men, yeah, and I can assure you, like, I've got a lot of ex-rugby players as well, and not many of them are flexible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I have a lot of injuries, you know, especially shoulders. And, um, yeah, so, like, changing a movement pattern in a half an hour, an hour is... It's quite difficult as well. Sorry, I went off track there, but but yes, I think driving ranges and and the commercialization of golf coaching. So like, I think I think in rugby it's been quite interesting where we've had more and more specialists coming into the game. Mm-hmm. So you know, you used to have. I mean, I, I read a brilliant book from the uh, nineteen ninety nine All Blacks, and they had a psychologist who did mm-hmm. his um, a PhD. Um, about the about the All Blacks, and if you read this book, it's fantastic. I, I'll have to I'll put it in the show notes. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I think it's Inside the All Blacks by Robin something, Robin Thompson. By the way, I'll look it up. And he said basically there was a doctor, the head coach who was the the backs coach, and there was a forwards coach. Whereas now, again, talk about the pendulum swinging. When yeah. the Lions went on tour in 2005, I think they took more backroom staff. They had a scrum coach. They had like a front row coach, a back row coach. They had, you know, all these specialists. And there was more yeah. coaches than actually playing playing stuff that went. And mm. everyone has to have their sort of piece of the pie. And mm-hmm. when they do that, I think they break it down. As you said, they decompose everything that the person's doing. Mm-hmm. So do you want to quickly talk about that? Because I think we, there's so many concepts to, that we could sort of get into. And as they sort of pop up, I think we'll just talk around them and just right. see how we go. Because I think this is a really key, a really key part of the skill acquisition literature um, yeah. that I don't see talked about very much in practical coaching terms. And that would be simplification, not decomposition. Yeah. So do you want to have a just a quick chat about that practically? Yeah. So will we start beginners? So like, yeah, yeah. Like, like so Tiger Woods learnt from the green back. So he learnt to hold a small pup first and then move back. And that's that's linked to coordination as well. So like you you build your coordination up with simple tasks. So like if I put a, a hammer in your hand in your non-dominant hand, what are you going to do? You're going to make small movements with it. Yeah. You're not going to make adaptable movements from different angles, which I'm sure you could do, or most of you could do in, in with your dominant hand. Right. So generally what you'll see with regards to, especially beginner adult golfers is they go, the, the task is too difficult, right? And the coordination is, is extremely, well, it's just not very good. Their, their ability to hit a golf ball is not very good because, uh, and motivation drops as well. So the premise of task simplification is you, you build that coordination up slowly, but it's also linked to the psychology part where, you know, I'll give you an example. We are, like, after lockdown, had quite a few kind of, guys in their 40s taking up golf 
and we've got a little par three course where I'll start them at twenty yards, and we'll we'll play a little game where if they say pars four from twenty yards, and if they get under four for every shot they get under four, we move back twenty yards, right? So generally, you'll find our their kind of edge of chaos there. So what I mean by edge of chaos is once they start going having fives and sixes, we move them forward, right? So I'll give you an example where a guy named Phil, we did this with a guy named Phil that I teach, and we got back to 90 yards, and every time he got back to 110 yards, all hell broke loose. Like, he just couldn't hit the golf ball, right? So because his swing was too long, coordination just just didn't have that coordination level yet. Now, he's, he's further back now, Phil, but, but it's just slowly building up, and then it opens up a conversation when you're on the golf course about this, yeah? Um, so... The other way of doing it, or, or it's not a black and white, but the other, uh, what you see in a lot of videos, coaching, is the breaking down of a golf swing, right? So putting it into two parts. But the problem with that is, is we're not robots, right? And the forces actually used when you break, in, uh, break a golf swing into parts it's completely different to one that you'd use in the actual game. Yeah. So it's not representative of what is happening in the golf course. And I'll give you an example. One of my friends uh, did a little study for a, another coach of mine and I, we were debating a drill that we'd seen on YouTube and it was a golfer looking, breaking his swing into parts, but he was looking at his golf swing whilst he was doing it. So basically, he was he was breaking it into parts and looking at his golf swing halfway up on the way back, right? Uh, and obviously, you wouldn't be looking at your golf swing when you're hitting a, a golf ball, right? So I got a friend to simulate that with his bi- he's got a biomechanic, um, basically 3D bi- biomechanical analysis, right? And the relative motion was completely different when he was looking at the ball and not looking at the ball. The rib cage, the neck... Uh, the uh, the right arm moved quite considerably differently, right? So it's this individual was decomposing their golf swing and making movements that were completely non-representative of what they were going to do on 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 the golf course, which of course would lack transfer. Yeah, because because if you're your kinesthetic awareness or where that your proprioception, where where you, that club is in time and space, if you're training that for something different then it's not going to transfer as well, right? Yeah, I mean, that that is uh, something I, I see quite a lot, again, in, in, in sport, is that, um, so if we go back to the skill and being mm. skillful, is that if the, um, if the practice isn't representative of what they're going to do on the, in, the, in the game, then you're actually, you can become very skillful at it, but it's a different skill. So, for example, in rugby, throwing into a line-out, very popular at the moment is you have a big uh, net on a stick and they yeah. put the, the net up and you've got yeah. to try and throw the ball into the yeah into the into the net but obviously and this will be something else we come on to be perception action because all of this all ties together is there's no perception action element you're not watching someone jump off the mm. floor and you're mm. not throwing into someone's hands you're just throwing into a net which is actually a different thing from what you're going yeah. to do in the game yeah, exactly. You're not getting the cues off the individual. So, like, there's tons of research on this now, isn't there, with regards to, you know, your, uh, I, I, 
I'd send everybody to the Christian Ronaldo documentary done a few years ago. It was the BBC where it's got eye trackers on him and basically it's, he's looking at how somebody's body's moving and then moving in reaction to how that body's moving, right? So he's, he's taking cues off that individual. So it's the old classic one where, I mean, uh, there was an, uh, an old classic on the Scottish uh, Football Association where James McFadden was uh, dribbling round, like, basically what you're saying there, big stick men, yeah? And it's like, when was the last time one of those tackled a football player, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, it always reminds me of the Jenny Finch. Is it Jenny Finch the... Oh, was, is it softball player? Oh, yeah. Cause, yeah, because they throw under arm. Right, so the the cues. There was about two or three famous baseball pitchers, right, or batters. Sorry, Bat- batters went up against her, and basically, I think softball, they stand a little bit closer, and it's it's underarm. It's not like how a baseball pitcher would throw it, and they all got struck out by her. They couldn't believe it. They all got struck out by her because they couldn't take the visual cues off off her because it was a different movement you know they were so aware of what a pitcher would do because the the ball's moving so fast they don't actually look at the ball they look at like the hand movements yeah yeah and, and yeah. the elbow movements yeah yeah because so, the, the the ball moves so quick you can't mm. i mean i think they've proven that the human yeah. eye would not be able to pick up the ball yeah. moving at that speed but yeah. the the way in which she's standing the 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 motion of her arm because she yes. has a, an armory of different uh, types of pitch she might do uh-huh. if you're if you're practiced against her you'll sort of know that when she winds up a really big uh-huh. swing it's going to be coming uh-huh. in straight and fast or whatever yeah. so yeah you have to pick yeah. that up of her body language don't you rather than, yeah but they never had you know because they were yeah. used to never they seen were used it. To, yeah never seen it exactly so again that's that de- domain specificity isn't it so they were skillful at baseball but they weren't skillful uh when Jenny Finch came in into the equation, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, Ross Pinder did a bit of research with regards to bowling machines and cricket as well. Like we had bowling, like uh, simulated bowling machines and live bowlers, and the relative timing of the the batters was completely different. So basically, yeah. the 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 batters moved differently for a live bowler than they did with a simulated ball coming out of a projector screen. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I, that was the first time I ever came across this sort of concept uh-huh. of developing different skills, and and in that Ross was saying that they develop a totally different technique and therefore a different skill in batting against the mm. bowling machine because yeah. they don't have the cues of the bowler running in. They don't know they, mm. you know, if you see the bowler steaming in, you know he's going to be delivering a fast ball. Mm-hmm. So like the bowlers run up how high the ball's released from his hand, that kind of thing. And so because they didn't have that cues, they had to have a slightly lower bat angle. Mm. They couldn't have their bat up as high when they're anticipating mm. the shot and stuff. So we're talking about this. Just, let's just have a massive tangent on everything. It's fine. Cause we'll, we'll talk about what's interesting. We've left four or five concepts <laughs> just hanging there <laughs> while we talk around all these different things. But as things come to me, I'm going to just sort of fire them at you and see what you think. So, so therefore, uh, we're going to carry on with this batting example. So a batsman mm. playing cricket against a fast bowling machine, he doesn't get the cues of the bowler coming in, he develops a slightly different technique. Is there any value then in using that kind of thing? Is there any value in a, a, a rugby player throwing into a net rather than 
thrown into a full line out? That's a great question. I think it depends, doesn't it? I think I think it's it's as a completely no relevance to it. Like uh, I think it depends on the skill level as well. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but ideally, you want that kind of perception and action coupled as much as possible. If you are wanting to, in inverted commas, accelerate your learning and and make it transfer quicker. Yeah. But I don't think there's anything wrong. So I've just written this. So there's a thing called haptic touch and dynamic touch. And basically it's like a tool. Like when you've got like a rugby ball or a, a golf club in your hand, you become one with the the tool. Like, like that becomes part of you. It's, it's a philosopher called Andy Clark that calls it the extended mind theory. So like a car becomes part of you after a few years. So you can feel feel like what's going wrong with the car, right? And I was speaking to Ian, Ian Renshaw the other day there, uh, and he was we were just he was telling me a story about Peter Beardsley and how like he slept with the, the football and how he basically played little games on the way to school where he had to kick off a wall twice and 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 my point here is that I think you can do drills that aren't representative of the of the game, like like backyard games, because it become you you're becoming more aware of what that that object can do or that tool can do, right? So, um, and Turvey researcher called Turvey said that basically the awareness of the tool may be more important than visual, right? So, like, a lot of golfers I'll use, I'll get them to shut their eyes and, like, get them to understand where the club is with that, with kind of awareness, kinesthetic awareness, right? Because most have no idea where the club is in time and space, right? But I would presume in rugby, you don't have a lot of time, right? So, like, visually... You've got to be really at one where obviously what your teammates are doing, but then obviously what that object is doing as well, and how to manipulate that object. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for me, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing stuff that is not part of the game, but is is linked to you becoming more attuned to that object or tool, right? So that's that's a lot of stuff that I'll do on a driving range where I'll get people more aware of what the tool can do and where like like hit off different parts of the club face like get them to call out where they've hit it on the club face um get them to call out where they think the club face is or that the end of the club is uh, when they're with their eyes shut because i can assure you top level golfers can tell you exactly where they've hit it on the on the club face and exactly where the balls went without even looking up right because they have to be able to do that, they can't look at it, can they? Well, in in what, reality, you know. Yeah, yeah, but 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 like as a as a test of attunement to the tool that they can. Like, I heard the story recently uh, from a journalist who was telling me that he watched Dustin Johnston hit golf balls a couple of years ago, and he was calling out before the ball, like basically the minute he hit the shot, he was calling out how far it was going. Right? Oh, really. And he was getting within one yard just about every time, right? That's amazing. 
so that's that, that's to me that's like attunement to the the tools that you've got there yeah so I suppose my point here is like building awareness of what the rugby ball can do, the, the golf club can do, the golf ball can do, is is I think a, a massive part of of being a skillful performer. Like, I think uh, I'll give you one more story, right? So so, and this is I'll give a wee plug. We're writing a boot well, kind of a series of books on Tiger's development. But one of the stories was when Tiger was kind of mid twenties. He got he got six drivers sent to him, right? Six brand brand new Nike drivers sent to him, right, to test. And he he basically tested them all and said, "I'll take the heaviest one." And the Nike rep was like, "No, they're all the same weight, Tiger." And, and Tiger was like, "Assistant, no, there there's one that's definitely heavier, heavier, right?" Yeah. And, and uh, so the Nike rep sent them back to the lab, right? And sure enough, the one that Tiger liked was <laughs> was slightly heavier, and it was two grams heavier. Basically, a, a dab of glue had got in the head, right? And it was two grams heavier than the other five drivers, right? That's amazing. <laughs> I can well believe that, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's so attuned, yeah, to the implements. But I, I suppose it's got it's, it's um there's a couple of things around that. So if we go back to the bowling machine, one is that they're now trying to adapt to the technology so that they have a video screen on the front of the machine, mm. which, and, and then you can actually have different bowlers. So if you are going to be facing, mm. uh, and my cricket knowledge is absolutely appalling, but mm. uh, I don't know, I can't <laughs> be trying to think of a, some yeah, sort of bowler. Ta- yeah, ta- like, Tandoka. Yeah, oh, ta- well, he's a batsman, I think. Is but, it? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're both as bad as each other. Let's just say, um, uh, James Anderson, so you're going to be yeah. facing James Anderson. They can actually video him and they can make the ball do what he yeah. would do. So yeah. there's that. And then I say, I think the other thing is that then I think you can also come to logistics and things like that. So, so it can be very hard wearing on a coach to be fast bowling to a batsman. Yeah. But you might want him to get used to be facing a certain speed of ball. So, all right, he's not getting the technique, but he is getting that that. In, uh, he's getting that experience of the ball moving at 80 mile an hour at him yeah, because yeah. he's faced the, someone that bowls that fast or that kind uh, of thing. And I think there can be, there can be positives from it. And I, I'll just say quickly before you go into that, I think one of the things I've really noticed in lockdown is a lot of kids and, and adults have been forced to do backyard drills. So they're passing yeah. uh, rugby yeah. ball off a wall, kicking a football against a wall, um, uh, I was reading a basketball coach who, again, it's, it's anecdotal and there was no sort of um, hard evidence of it. But he noticed a real improvement in his players' ball handling when they went back into playing basketball after the first lockdown last this time last year. Yeah. Because the players have been doing all these ball handling drills, all totally unrepresentative. And, you know, they didn't have defenders or any of these kinds of things. But I, I think what you're saying is there is that they got so attuned to the to the ball, to the device, whatever it is that they're playing with. Yeah. It has it can have a huge impact. And obviously, then you need to go and put that into context, which you'll do when you play games. But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's I think we're not saying like I think the important part is like if we're talking about that ball machine, right, you're not doing it all the time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So like you're mixing it up. So you're actually getting a live bowler, right? So like there's variability in there. If that is what you are doing all the time, drilling rugby passes, you know, facing a projector with with a with a bowling machine, yeah, with a, a, 
a simulated bowler, then you are going, going to become more attuned to that. Basically, you're going to become skillful at that, right? But that is not the game, right? But there's nothing wrong with variability as, as long as there's some sort of relevance to it, yeah? So like going back to the ball handling uh, stuff that you talked about in lockdown, like the story, I know I've told you this before, but uh, one of my friends, Gordon Morrison, tells a story of how with beginner groups, he he did a little experiment where basically split half of them and just said, kind of do what you want practice-wise or give them a little exercise to do. And, uh, and the other half got them to hold the golf club when they were in the house and turn off lights with that and just basically get more aware of it and more, more attuned to the tool and just use it for lots of different tasks. And anecdotal evidence said, you said that like the ones that did that in the house got better much quicker because they were, they were getting more awareness of what that tool can do. Yeah. 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 I think it's, I think uh, one of the environments I was in was a netball uh, it was a elite development program for netball. And one of the things they insisted, so the, they actually had a kit list for the, for the girls every session. And so they had to have with them their playbook, skipping rope, this, that, and the other. But one of the things they were really, really hot on was making sure the girls always had their own ball and they always had their own ball. And they gave them these little challenges to do. Yeah. And it, they would say to them regularly, you know, if, right, okay, there's going to be five minutes because we just got to wait for the, the hall to clear from the previous group get on and do some hand drills and immediately the girls would have the ball in the hand because they were expected to bring their own ball to the session and yeah. they would just go through some of these drills and yeah. handing things and and obviously it is non-representative etc but I think that attunement is there is a lot in that so oh. I, I think as long as as long as you've got a good rationale for what you're doing it's part of a full program there yeah. is no right or wrong and that is why it depends isn't it yeah absolutely I think uh, also I think there's no harm if you're 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 doing that and that's the reason why you're doing it is to become more attuned to that tool mix up the tools once you've got like once you're used to one rugby ball you like different sizes different weights yeah so that like you're not perturbed when that that actually happens in a match yeah so that that's uh, that's quite a good opportunity for me to um to bring in the boss so uh dan cottrell um put out a uh, a tweet and the other day I'm just going to find it and uh, he'd been doing some some non-rugby ball based um, games that uh, he'd written an article about for, for Rugby Coach Weekly and um, his question was do multi-directional non, non-rugby ball games fit into the ecological dynamics approach to rugby or how do they so there's been quite a, a fashion in rugby for using footballs tennis balls different sizes of balls different weights of balls and so I think he was he was talking about a chuck ball game that they were going to use for rugby. So this probably seems like a good opportunity to dive off in a totally another tangent and talk about you know non-standard implements. So if we're talking about getting very attuned to the rugby ball, mm-hmm. what happens then when we throw in a size four football or a handball or something like that? How does that sort of fit in with with skill acquisition for for rugby? We'll use that example. Well, I suppose it, it it depends what you're doing it for, right? What what's the purpose of the session, right? So, is it for ball handling? Is it for becoming more aware of that tool variability? Yeah, then then yes. I mean, the, the famous cricketer Don Bradman, he was he, he uh, trained with the golf ball and a 
uh, stump, you know, as his his cricket bat, didn't he? So he he made the task harder, not easier. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Like, if is it decontact? Is it out with the game? So you could be doing stuff where it's with different balls, but again, it's against a wooden man or you know what? what yeah. Like like. Are you taking visual cues off somebody that's trying to tackle you? Yeah, or, or like games. Yeah, but I think I think you could make the task harder with smaller balls, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, while still having the representation of the game, but if you're if that's all you're doing, as in like changing up the balls and it's a static drills, then like you, what's the purpose of it? Is it just for the the ball handling? I think that's where it's really important to understand the the rationale for what you're doing. And yeah. I think in rugby, I, but it's probably not so much in golf, but in rugby, you do tend to get a bit of copy and paste. So <laughs> you do. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the whole thing with footballs in, in rugby was, so Rick Shuttleworth, who you'll know really, really well, he did a load of coach CPD. He did some brilliant ones down at Saracens. Yeah. And one of the things that he was doing was he started using a size three or a size four football. Mm-hmm. And with a very specific reason, it's easier for the kids to catch and pass. Yeah. And so, so therefore, we can get a lot more passes into the game a lot quicker. And so it can. And then within that, we also create games that that are looking to encourage speed of movement of the ball. So we want to play the ball wide. We're going to use a size three football and the constraints on them, which we'll come into a, a little bit later yeah. about constraints. So the, the rules of the game will encourage that. So we'll, yeah. we'll allow for that to happen. Yeah. I think what happens is a lot of people then that sort of fed its way all up to England uh, senior yeah. team and then they'll see England senior team using footballs, tennis balls and people go, oh yeah, England are using it so uh, I've, uh, yeah. we're going to play with a size three football tonight and mm-hmm. they'll be playing a game which doesn't really... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they've totally missed the, the underpinning of the of the use of the implement which was it, speed of passing. Uh, uh, yeah, because they, they don't understand the underlying principles that like you say yeah. there of skill learning. Like, like, what's the purpose of the session? Why are we doing it? Like, like, what are the, you know, the, the I'm sure was it not uh, all blacks the principles of play? What are the principles of of play for this actual the uh, sport we're doing? Yeah, and then like basing your sessions around that. Yeah. So, yeah. like, what Rick sounds, sounds like, what Rick's doing there is brilliant because there's, you know, there's movement, there's there's perception and action are coupled together. But then you you, you decontextualize that or go, well, they're all using different balls, but then use it with drills that aren't relevant. It's uh, the old classic. Uh, I, I don't know if you told me this, but somebody told me the Clive Woodward stuff, the pink fluffy uh, dice syndrome. Have you heard that one? Yeah. yeah. They like basically when they won the World Cup, all the coaches were coming in to look at them, and uh, he said like we could have said that like we had it's because we all had pink fluffy dices in our car that uh, and that we were successful, and all the coaches would have went out and bought them. You know, I'm I'm as guilty as the next in doing yeah. that as well. You know, uh, but like the copy and paste instead of like knowing and understanding the, un- the underlying principles of why are we doing this? Yeah. I think you need to know the rules in order to break them, don't you? So yeah. if, if you understand perception, action, coupling, you understand representative design, you understand simplification and decomposition, mm-hmm. you can break those rules as long as you know that you're doing it, why yeah. you're doing it, where you're doing it, how long for, yeah. with with whom, for how long. 
yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of questions that go into that sort of process, aren't there? So, what what yeah. sort of what sort of things are you, are you thinking of? You know, uh, we'll, we'll stick with the golf, uh, uh-huh. stick with the golf scenario to sort of help you out. Really, I think that'd be a bit much to drop you into rugby, but when you when you are starting with like a, a beginner, so we'll we'll say something like novices. So if you've got a, a brand new set, if someone was thinking from a brand new set of rugby players, but you're, you're going to put this in a golf context. What sort of things are you thinking of when you're first introducing people to the games? Uh, history of sports. So I'm always looking at like, like how old are they? Like getting to know them first, like understanding like what's their background. So uh, what sports have played growing up? Yep, because uh, that can be quite useful to see kind of what the coordination levels are like, flexibility is like. Uh, as you'll know yourself, like some people take to stuff like duck to water, and others like it's you know you've got a little bit more handheld. Yep. So, and then that will inform where I go with that. But mainly, if the weather's okay out in the golf course. Uh, from the green back essentially so try and try and get them like again what we talked about task simplification earlier on i'll have them using so you'd see a lot of golf beginner golfers buy a full set and it's like whoa hold on a minute here because there's too much choice you know like get good with one or two clubs first yeah and then to understand what you can do with one or two clubs and then make it a little bit more complex you don't want you don't want too much noise when you're it's find that challenge point for an individual isn't it like when they're they're, they're learning it's if there's too much noise involved then it all comes a little bit chaotic i'll also sometimes if i know i've got a, a few beginners and i'll dress in civvies so I'll, I'll not dress in golf gear to to relax them a little bit more right because because yeah. because a lot lot uh you got a lot of beginners that are fairly nervous when they come in front of uh, an instructor so so i'll purposely dress down not in my golf gear you know um just to feel get them feel more relaxed um and yeah uh, to me like especially when you're learning something new it's trying to feel make them feel comfortable like like find that kind of challenge point i'll do i will do technical stuff with them on the driving range but try and make it as simple as possible as well uh, use analogies, visual cues. I'll always try and tap in a, a movement they've made before or a sport they've made before or played before. Yeah. Uh, the, the difficult ones are if somebody's not been very active through their life, then it, then it, I think it's then just being brutally honest with them and just saying, look, this might take us a wee bit longer because, you know, this is where we're at. Yeah. You've got a bit of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, um, Again, so that's brilliant because I think those all apply. I think all of those could apply to any sort of sport. So then sort of taking it into more sort of intermediate, what sort of things you're looking at when you work with someone new? They've been playing the game for a little while. I think uh, I'd like to come back. One thing I'd like to come back to is that um, individual individualization because yeah. for me as a rugby coach, I think that's a, a fascinating area. I find that challenge point. And yeah. you know, like, how do you individualize it? And I thought you'd talk some really good stuff around that we'll come back to that but um yeah so if you're working with someone who's a bit more intermediate who've been playing the game for a little while what sort of things are you thinking what are you (laughs) it depends i mean like a lot lot of the intermediate players are coming to me 
that are played golf for 20, 30 years and they've got well-established movement patterns that are maybe not as functional as they'd like. Yeah, so there, there's definitely some technical work needed. So I know we're going to talk, talk about this later on, but I'll just throw it in the mix anyway. Uh, so it's like in, in academic speak, it's called rate limiter. So I'm always looking for the, basically the rate limiter is like, where am I going to get the biggest bang for my buck here? Yeah. So like, where's the kind of biggest point of fail, shall we say? Where, 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 what's holding them back the most, right? So with intermediate golfers, a lot of the time it is their ability to hit a golf ball in the direction they want off the middle of the club face and at a reasonable distance, at a reasonable height, right? So not all the time, but, but a lot of the time. So then it will involve some technical work. So that will be actually changing their movement part, right? And then it's looking at what can they physically do, yeah? Like what age are they? What's their flexibility like? Yeah, sports they've played, injuries. Yeah, I mean... A lot of the, the ex-rugby players, it's easier for them to tell me what injuries they've not got. I said, <laughs> what, what parts of your body are still attached? What, what's still yours? <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's what, shout out to my mate, uh, one of my boys, Ross, Ross Easton, ex-rugby player. And that's what he said to me. He said, it'd be easier, Peter, if I just told you what. I'm not broken. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's certain flexibility issues in there as well. Yeah. So... Uh, with the kind of general lifestyle that a lot of people lead lead now as well, we are it's quite busy. You're probably not going to get. Ideally, you would like somebody to go to a strength and conditioning coach and go to physio, but most of the time that's not going to happen because people don't have time for it. So it's working around what they've got at that moment as well. I think that is a really a really good point about rate limiters because. It could literally be that they just can't get those couple of extra degrees of rotation and uh, mm. external rotation because they've got so tight shoulders. If they could get that extra rotation, they can swing the, the club faster. They're going to hit the ball a little bit further. And so just some simple stretching might really hugely improve their game. So are there any, are there any, I would imagine now that you got quite a refined process with that and that's just come over time. Yeah. You, know, you, you see the same sort of things or is there a process you go through looking for rate limiters? It's uh, a great question. Ideally, I spend two, three hours with somebody initially, and we have a look at the, you know, use use even TrackMan or data to have a look at their dispersion, take them out on the golf course, and then have a look, like, okay, and then ask them questions. Ask them, where do you think, like, like a lot of the time people are intuitively right, you know, where do you think we can make the the most improvements here? Yeah. So it's amazing. It's amazing how intuitive people can be. Yeah. Um, there's a sprint coach called JB Morin, and uh, he looks a lot at, at the force application, so the velocity and force. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's a big thing in rugby about uh, accelerating into contact because the faster you're accelerating, the harder you're going to hit, the more you can sort of bust through. And he did yeah. some research which found that um, sometimes players actually slow down into contact. And that is because they intuitively know where they can produce most force. If they're running too fast, they actually can't produce force once they hit, hit an object, which would be another tackler. And so he mm. found that certain players would slow down just before the contact. But that was because that was the best way for them then to produce force 
when they hit the contact. And so it's funny because a coach would look at go, oh, what are you doing? You're sliding down into contact. That's wrong. But actually, the player's right. It's intuitively is the player new. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting to talk to your athletes to find out what they think about what they do. And a lot of the time as coaches, we, we sort of see ourselves as like, I know what's wrong or I, I know how to fix everything. I just work out what's wrong and I'll just fix it. And sometimes... Mm-hmm. You're trying to fix things that aren't a problem, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done that many a time as well. You know, it's like, but I think that's having an open conversation with individuals as well and say, look, I'm not perfect here. Yeah. So this is a this is a a journey we're both going to go on. And and are you here? Are you open to like what I'll say is sometimes I'll I'll we'll look at all all of what you do and then. I'll offer suggestions and then we'll explore around those suggestions. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I suppose uh, this is something I talked to Jamie Taylor about is the sort of stickiness of what you do, you know, the stickiness yeah. of the learning. And uh, sometimes the, the harder and longer it is to learn something, the more sticky that is, the longer that will, the longer yeah. that will stay with you. So yeah. a lot of what you do um, with the constraints legged approach, with the skill acquisition approach, it can take a lot longer to learn. It can take a it can be a lot longer a process rather than some quick. You know what you see in a lot of golf, which is three quick fixes to your swing. Yeah. And so, uh, how do yeah. you find that conversation with the the people you're working with to to sell it as look, this is going to take a bit longer, but it will stick with you a lot. Longer. I think it's just diving and walk a mile in a man's shoes. So dive into their world. Say like, well, what have you? Like that's part of the you know getting to know them first. You know, if somebody's running their own business, it's like, well, how long did it take you, you, you to build your business? Ages. How much time do you spend in that? Ages. It's like, like, it's no different from learning golf or, yeah. you know, getting good at rugby or whatever. Yeah, it's like there's, but I suppose to a coach to help and accelerate maybe that that process. Yeah, uh, I would counter that though. That uh, I think if you can tap into know especially with some technical stuff you can tap tap into movements they've made before you can make i've seen like significant long-lasting changes happen in 20 20 minutes yeah like because you, you tap in an analogy of you know i'll give you an example alistair ex-rugby player that i teach he was just not shifting his weight on his left hand side, and I, I got I like I got a basically a medicine ball. I had it had it in my area, and got him to start throwing medicine balls if it was a rugby pass. And imagine it was on the other side of the pitch, and and like get building awareness of how he moved when he was doing that. And basically I said, "That's all. I, all I want you to do is feel like you're throwing a rugby pass to the other side of the pitch when you're hitting a golf shot." And boom, he started hitting a lot better, and strike got a lot better, and. You know, so like we tapped into movements he'd he'd made before, right? And were the well learned movements. So I think I think it's understanding the individual as well and, and it's not all not always has to take ages for a change to happen. You know, it's the classic uh you know, I know we went down a rabbit hole of complex systems years ago, but basically, like a simple rule can have profound effects in a complex system. If anybody's not watched it, go and go and look uh, at how the wolves change the rivers at Yellowstone Park. There's a, a great video on that, uh, and basically, the wolves were introduced to Yellowstone Park and they changed like the whole landscape of of Yellowstone Park. 
So my point here is that you can like finding that little rate limiter sometimes can have profound effects on somebody's movement behavior performance. Yeah. So it's, but then it's having a long term relationship with somebody. So then the 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 question just becomes a different question, you know? Like once somebody's solved that problem, shall we say. Yeah. Or Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um that that is the thing, isn't it, that we often say is we, we coach people, not the sport. And and that's why, because you need to know the person before you can start to have those conversations. And it can be a bit fuzzy. It's not like a checklist that you go through. It's a series of conversations that you have. And all of a sudden, sometimes some one thing will pop out of that and you'll go, oh, God, right, that was all we needed to say all along was just imagine yeah. a rugby pass. And then you start to use that kind of tactic uh-huh. with other with other athletes, other players, don't you? So um, so if uh, intermediates and pros, are they sort of similar along that process that you're talking? Is there anything you do slightly differently with pros? Or Well, yeah, no, absolutely. So pros, you know, we've got the coordination stage. Pros are at a different level most of them and a lot of them I'll, I've got a few players that I don't actually I'm not their swing coach, it's more than performance coach so then it becomes more on the golf course creating more representative training environments eh, moving towards more individual periodization of, of, of training as well so like if they're getting close to a tournament it's basically getting them training as close to as possible the environment they're about to be in but with low cognitive load so like with like trying to like have a low kind of so they're fresh in tournament play but like if we know that they've got a few weeks off then then ramp it up and 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 really like get training as intense as possible yeah so that can involve consequences me on the golf course with them essentially putting them off like like knowing their own tendencies yep so like i mean there's an element there has to be an element of trust when we're doing this uh but like verbal protocol we are you know i'll 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 basically try and get the be the devil in their head so if they know they've got a mess you know or a, a uh, a bias on on holes that they don't like, then then I'll be like, you don't like this shot, Jeff, do you? You know, you you hit it right on this shot all the time, and but we're playing a game for consequences as well. So just to make it as real as possible, so that we can you can start to see the behaviour and training that you know that potentially happens and and what they are telling you in performance. Yeah. So. I mean, and consequences, a lot of consequences, another rabbit hole that Ed Colin has been a, a, a massive help with me on with regards to individual individualization of consequences. So getting people to come up with ones that mean have relevance to themselves. Like, so for example, one of the players, he had, he came up with this all by himself he had to pass a certain task and if he didn't, I always give them an out as well. So if they pass, they don't pass the task, they've got maybe one shot. And again, I've learned this from Ed, they can golf or sport or anything. You've always got a second chance. You've got another game or whatever. So give them a second chance in training. So uh, I'll, I'll give them another shot at maybe passing, passing a task, like hitting a shot close or whatever. 
And if they don't pass that, then they've got to do the consequence. And one of the players came up with, uh, he had to go onto Instagram and like a like a post of him and his ex girlfriend from two years ago <laughs> of of them both together, right? Now that is pressure. <laughs> yeah, and he failed it, so I had to get the phone out in front of me and and. And, and like, but you've got to follow it through, you know, like, because yeah, then, yeah. then it doesn't mean anything if if you let them off with that. And that's something I've definitely done in the past where I've I've not been, I've I've let them off with things. But like, for it to mean something, it, it has to be followed through there and then. I suppose something like that has to come from him as well. You yeah, exactly. Can't, you, yeah. you can't be saying that to him because that no. might be something that you, he physically couldn't do. You know? No, 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 no. He that was him. Is, you know, exactly. I think and actually. The co-creation. I'll come up with ideas. You know, I've got certain ideas for stuff, but but there's got to be a co-creation now. Yeah, I think golf is uh, always has been very obviously much more of a mental game than uh, a physical game in in many regards. You know, many respects, and that's been talked mm. about for a long time. And I think rugby could learn a huge amount from from golf in that respect. And we've had some fantastic conversations around this, and I'd like to sort of let's get into that and you know play in the game because. We'll get into uh, to constraints-led approach now and how, how you sort of use that constraints-led approach. And we'll probably work backwards because let's talk about the pro-type stuff like you're talking there and we'll work back to what it looks like with beginners. But with the pros, a lot of the a lot of the um, performance, rate limiters there will be in the way they play the game. It's not the, it's not their shots in itself. It's, it's which club they're using to play that shot or where they're going to play the shot or what they're going to do. And so... You know, it's their game management, course management, and that's why it needs to be so representative because they need to take into account the wind and the lie and all that kind of thing. And so that's where you've come up with those consequences. So if we just get into that about constraints for for those people in terms of their game management, because I think in rugby, a lot of times there'll be, this is the game plan. <laughs> and we play, we're going to play all the way, as a stupid example, we're going to play all the way down the right-hand side until we can't play anymore. Yeah. And on the left-hand side, there's one guy who's, who's on one leg because he's injured and they won't play that way and score because they're... <laughs> they're, they're... I, I remember seeing that. Somebody, did you not show me that? Or there was a game <laughs> where basically it was wide open on the left-hand yeah. side. Yeah. yeah. So, on a presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah, yeah that, that's fine. So... Yeah, I, I just want to get into how you how you approach that. So, game management, um, the psychological side. Uh, great pressure. I mean, we are. Where do we start? I mean, I, I've made so many mistakes with this, and uh, and like we're going to constraints led approach. The the biggest mistake I made early on was was uh, two things: over constraining. So, like basically, like, I it was interesting. I was doing a clear out the other other day there. And uh, I came across like notes of a constraint session I did like about eight years ago. And I said to my wife, Shelley, I said, I've kept that purposely because that was one of the worst training sessions I have ever done in my life. Like it was horrendous. And basically I had had golfers, intermediate, mainly golfers on the golf course and totally over constrained them. Right. Like made the rules too difficult. They came off like just did not enjoy it at all. And like when I thought it through, and I was speaking uh, actually Will Stubbs, like uh, he's a, another guy on Twitter, a good guy, and he was he's a little bit in golf, but he'd done a lot of football. And he was like, "What did you expect? You were like basically the the golf course 
in itself is a constraint for like intermediate players, and you're making it harder for them. Yeah. So did you have a lot of rules and yeah. a lot of really hard rules? So yeah, exactly. Oh, it's just and there's too many things going on, and and it, it, it just yeah. I mean, it wasn't enjoyable for the, the, the you know they were getting high scores in each hole, and and it, it just just didn't work. And uh, so definitely over constrained, too many rules. Also, didn't walk a mile in a man's shoes. So, like, uh, I'll give you examples of that. When I early first few years, I, I was because this was kind of all new and the constraint stuff and skill acquisition, and I'd done quite a bit of it at college with Graham McDowell as well. I got. I managed to get a few really good players working with me in regards to like the practice space and the constraint space. But one in particular had uh, grown up in a talent development environment that was very stable. That was basically everyone was done for them, and the practice was basically all technique and and no kind of chaotic environment, more like training, like more, more like performance. So I threw him in at the deep end with regard to training and there was a lot of pushback there was a lot of arguments on the golf course and like because it was too 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 difficult for him so if i had my time again i would have kind of walked i'd stepped into his shoes a little bit more like and then eased him into that environment because he wasn't used to that yeah definitely um where else to go with us also and I'm just going to tell you all the mistakes I've made and still probably do is uh, believing that the constraints led approach was like completely hands off and like people would learn by osmosis like so you if you throw them in it's like in a snake in the room idea where you you know throw, throw a kind of toy snake on the other side of the room when somebody's scared of snakes and then make it bigger and then you know put a live snake in there and move the snake closer it's like That'll work for certain individuals or some individuals, but not all. Sometimes you have to actually get hands-on and step in and help individuals, right? And what do I mean by this? Well, for example, you know, we talked earlier on about putting consequences in and and and, and like making it a more performance environment where you know there's a lot a little bit of emotion going on and sometimes you have to help individuals with like actually being able to deal with that and maybe getting a kind of either they speak to a psychologist or 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 doing a little bit of that yourself and i'm not a psychologist but i'm just you know the, the the basics of it yeah and and giving them more structure to how they play golf so I, what do i mean by that well actually just like, sometimes a little checklist of like where's the wind where's what's the lie like like so that like a great book called the pressure principle by dave allred where you know he talks about you know like when our heart rate is raised and quite a bit of research been done on this our, our focus of attention narrows yeah so we miss things like like amount of times i'm a reasonable golfer and the amount of times in competition, don't play competition anymore, but the competition would come off or get to the 15th hole and go, oh, shit, man, I forgot about X, yeah? Yeah. Because like, I didn't have procedures in place, yeah? So it's uh, the, I think it's helping, you know, what the fighter pilots do, have they, 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 they have SOPs for looking right to left, don't they? 
Yeah. So, or less, so yeah. standard operating procedures would be yeah, SAPs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's, there's a book so, called The Checklist Manifesto, isn't there? And they were saying, yeah, I've got like, it. I've not read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, I think it came about the guy as a surgeon and they were sort of saying about how many surgical implements were left inside yeah. people yeah. during the you know, after yeah. the operation. They were leaving. Exactly. And it's exactly. like, they come up with a really simple thing was a checklist. How many yeah. pieces of equipment did we come into the theatre with? Have yeah. we that number of equipment, number of pieces of equipment? If not, there's something still inside that person and yeah, yeah. need to open them up. But, uh, but again, absolutely. it's really helpful, isn't it? Because absolutely. I'll give you an ex- another example. We are at a, a young 15, 16 year old recently in the last year where we took him on the golf course and, and played some games that constrained the golf course. He's a good golfer and like made boundaries left and right. And and it became quite apparent that like he was very one-dimensional. He'd grown up mainly on a... Well, no, he played a lot of golf, but but he didn't have a variety of golf shots that were needed, especially as it was a reasonably windy day, right? And so then it was like, I steal this off Mark Upton, but it's like zooming the lens in. So we actually stopped and like found a quiet bit in the golf course and like actually like asked him to hit five different shots from that, that position. Like show me five different shots, like to this pin, right? Because basically everything he was doing was throwing it up in the air, going airborne, right? But, uh, and that it just wasn't the shot. It was it asked for like a much lower golf shot that was running up to the hole, right? Because the pin was at the back anyway, right? Uh, but he figured that out by exploration. We got him to do four or five different shots and asked him what you know, the back and forth, right? And uh, his dad was a good is is a good golfer as well. But, but to be fair, he was he stood there and, and didn't say anything. But he was shaking his head when he was pulling at the club as well. And it's like yeah. So but then then I'm asking. This, not this player in particular, but I've seen it before where individuals have went to maybe somebody that's not as experienced in this game's kind of constraints approach. And it's pretty much what I would have done eight years ago is just put them in games and then are not addressed those behaviours, right? So thinking that the game would sort that out where sometimes you have to zoom that lens in, yeah? Definitely. So, you, so you'd pull him out to focus on that. So, if we were taking that in a rugby context, is we're playing a game to develop passing mm-hmm. because um, you, you need. I'm just going to say something stupid. Like you need to you need to have made 20 successful passes before you can score. Mm-hmm. But one of the players is is cannot pass off his left hand. Can pass all right off his left, uh, off his right, but not mm-hmm. his left. Pull him out. Let's have a bit of individualization. Going back to and now we can sort of go back to what we were talking about before is. Where's that challenge point? How far away does he have to be from someone to be able to successfully make a pass off his left? And initially it might be two yards mm. and then you keep stretching that p- space until you find that challenge point for him making that pass off his left hand. When you can mm. develop that left hand pass back into the game and when it's required of him to make a left hand pass, he can do that. Would that be a fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a big thing for me is how do we individualise rugby with a game going on? with a huge range of, ver- of abilities within that game. It's how do you do that? And so that's where we, they've started talking now about skill zones and stuff within a games-based 
a games-based yeah. uh, environment. But again, like what you'll tend to see is like we're having a games-based skill zone and they'll just randomly be p- picking people out to do an activity. And what it yeah. should be is what's the problem with that player? Yeah. How are we going to fix it? Absolutely. Using the constraints. But, you know, you're not going to just yeah. tell them the answer, but give them some give them a menu to pick off like, like I like mean did. that that's how you lose players as well isn't it because they're like I can do this like why am I yeah. doing this yeah 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 why am I doing this or this is too difficult for me or whatever yeah so it's yeah. like yeah I think uh, so also uh, like I'll give you more examples while it's in my head so it's a different I suppose it's just different questions and different rate limiters shall we say when you go when you're a higher up skill level, because most of them have figured out a way how a golf ball, right? So another example would be doing a training session, and the player in question had taken all his yardages off a, a, a basically a, a radar. It's called TrackMan on a driving range in a comfortable environment. So he, he was on the golf course. He was looking on his phone and looking at. Like, oh, I hit my seven iron 180, 180 yards through the air, right? And I was getting them to do the SOP, like workout wins, lie, you know, like basically I say if most individuals say, like, what's the playing yardage? Uh, sorry, what's the actual yardage? And then what's the playing yardage? So, like, the actual yardage might be 160, but there's wind into, the, into your face, so it may be playing 175 or whatever it is, yeah? So, and this this individual kept getting those hitting really good golf shots but getting it he was out by about five yards for about three four holes in a row and we're playing a couple of balls a hole so it was about ten five ten shots he was he was he'd missed overly long right but we were playing a a game for consequences so there was there was andy we'd walked up uh, a reasonable hill so the heart rate was up Uh. right so then it opened up the conversation of like he kept looking at his phone and I'm saying, do you think you hit the ball as far as you do like on the range when there's no, your heart rate's not up? And we talked about adrenaline. And like, so, so basically we worked out that he was hitting the ball five yards further than he's, he's, he's decontextualized, you know, on the range, no emotion. Like, so he was hitting the ball five yards further on the golf course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because again, going back to what we were saying before, different environment, different yeah. skill, yeah. different outcome. Yeah, when you come on the course, there's different factors involved. So it's again, it's shining that lens, and like because you're creating that performance environment, you're seeing these little, and that that five yards can be the difference between playing at a very high level to you know just a kind of a kind of lower lower level in the pro ranks, yeah. So if we took that into a, a rugby context, it might be that, you know, if you're if you've got a really key line out in the 75th minute off the back of a three minute passage of play. So your hooker yeah. who's going to yeah. throw the ball is absolutely blowing is yeah. a, a, a little checklist to take away yeah. the cognitive load for him and b something yeah. to try and get his heart rate down. Yeah. Or, or to understand that when he's really fatigued, to try him out in training, and when he's really fatigued, he tends to throw it slightly left or exactly. slightly, slightly long, it, slightly short. 100%. So then you've got to put the fatigue training into, into practice. You've got to, you know, you've, you've got to actually simulate that as well. Yeah. And then put some consequences on it. Yeah. Because so getting blowing for three minutes 
yeah. get him to throw into a lineup with some consequences that uh, yeah. he needs to uh, leave his phone unlocked in the bar for 10 minutes after training. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Horrendous. Exactly. That is like what you really don't want to happen. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Send to all, but it wouldn't be Michael McIntyre, would it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, go on, what, what other mistakes then uh, with uh... Uh, mistakes? Over constrain. What about, um, uh, I'll tell you something I struggled a lot with was unintended consequences. So the constraints you're putting on weren't getting the outcome you were after. Yeah, oh, all the time. Like you, you make up games or, or, or like, oh, to me, I, I, that, that, I used to think of that as a mistake, but now I don't. It's just yeah. part of the process. Yeah. It's definitely the same. Oh, yeah. Uh, so like, uh, I, I don't really, like, it's like some cool stuff comes out as well. You're like, oh, I never thought of that. And like the, the, and, ingenuity of of human beings will always try and make the easiest way you know so they'll always find that and that's why the importance of trying it out you know trying these things out is they'll always find a shortcut if there is one yeah and it's like you bastards but we will <laughs> yeah, you it, yeah you worked it out yeah yeah <laughs> all, all, all things that you think which is really interesting from a coaching perspective is that mm. if you want someone to play a certain way you try and set things up for that to happen it doesn't happen Mm-hmm. sort of tearing your hair out they're not doing what you want them to do but they're doing the intuitive thing to do on the if we go back to intuition yeah, doing yeah. The intuitive thing to do on the field which yeah. you know, and so you've got to be aware of that and i think you're exactly right it's not a mistake you've got to get out there and get your hands dirty with constraints and really muck it up and let the game go badly wrong mm. for you to learn how to put constraints on the game and for mm. them to learn how to work around different constraints uh, and i think it's been honest with the, the players as well and say look yeah, i'm gonna, yeah. try, gonna try a new game out of the day lads like just just uh, appreciate all feedback and 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 you've got to park your ego you know you've got to park your ego and say look rip it to shreds lads if it's not good then you know but you'll see that anyway like like you know you and i have done it enough now that when a game's working it's that kind of intensity levels high the the the, the there's just a kind of a general feeling for it isn't it like you can see that it's working they're like they're they're engaged in the task it's and then you know if it's not working you're getting asked loads of questions you're yeah. you know that maybe mucking about a little bit and you know it's it, maybe just not quite at the spot yeah you know you got it right when they ask you to play it again a lot of the time. It's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. oh no, we got we've got to finish this. No, we're gonna do we want to do exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Um, and I suppose the other one that uh, mistake that I, I've seen, I don't know if I've done too much of this, but I probably have, but it was uh, Danny Newcomb talked about this where you're changing constraints that don't change in the game. So the example that Danny Newcomb gave was within hockey was that he was playing a game where the, he was changing the pitch size. So he was playing a narrow pitch to a regular pitch to an overly wide pitch. And the idea was that if, if they're playing narrow, he's trying to get them, then when the pitch was, when the when he changed the pitch to be the full size pitch or the really wide pitch, is that they've got the opportunities to play wide. And they weren't playing wide because they were just sort of narrowed, their head had zoned into playing on this narrow yeah. pitch he said but why would they tune into that because they were quite experienced players and when they play the game the pitch size doesn't change so why would they attune you know why would they tune into that as a, yeah. as a changing a changing constraint so have you ever had issues around applying the right kind of constraints or or constraints being abused can sometimes be one that an opposition team knows that there's a constraint on the on the other side and they just take the mickey out of it and, and the game doesn't work in that respect I've had I've definitely had that 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, generally, generally, where I've made most mistakes is too many rules. Um, nothing that comes off of hand at the moment. There definitely is, but sorry. sorry no, that's fine. No, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. Again, they're just some of the sort of mistakes that I've had. And, and I think that is really, uh, really good what you said about keeping that session plan because I'd say the five or six worst sessions that I've ever run ever are burnt into my memory, yeah. but they've had the biggest impact on my coaching because the, it Absolutely. was so, so painful at the time that you yeah. remember that. And then that yeah. really has an impact. When everything's going well, you tend, it's the same and it's the same when they're playing the game. It's like, I, I always tell a lot of the kids I coach is like, you know, look, the way I'm going to set this up, you're going to make quite a few mistakes and I want that to, I'll be quite explicit about it. So I want you to make mistakes in this, whether it's S&C or rugby. Yeah. It's like, you're going to make mistakes and I'm trying to get that to happen. And that, and see when you fall over or see when this doesn't go quite right, that's you learning and to get them to understand that because I think that's a really important part of it. And then once they've got, a lot of kids are uh, not used to failing at things or not used to things going so badly wrong and so that's where you have to find that challenge point as well it's like what's an acceptable amount of things yeah. going wrong absolutely absolutely i think one 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 that comes to mind is also i have and i still do it to this day i i sometimes don't have the patience to let a game percolate like actually like like let it play out and like just like leave it as it is and then just see what what emerges from it yeah I, I, some, I sometimes maybe because i'm constrained by time as well sometimes i want to see behaviors like earlier in the game like like uh, maybe i'm not seeing the intensity that i I would like to see, but then you I mean it's only first few holes, you know. So like for certain individuals, first few holes might not be that intense for them. Yeah, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, no, so, I, I, have I told you my frisbee story about that? No, <laughs> yeah. I, you, prob you probably have. But <laughs> I probably have. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell it again anyway <laughs> for the uh, for the joy of the listeners. Um, <laughs> So it was, it was quite funny because exactly on that point, I was coaching on a five-day rugby camp and they're quite, you know, they're quite hard work. And particularly if you're doing things like constraints or based approach or, you know, you've got varying abilities coming through, varying different age groups. We were doing a sort of rotation and doing quite a mix of different activities. It's very cognitive load on, on you as a coach. And uh, at lunchtime, we used to just let them have some lunch and then go out and let them play some games or whatever. And at lunchtime, they were playing uh, Ultimate Frisbee. So we just said, well, I'll have lunch and we'll play Ultimate Frisbee. And uh, so we just gave them the Frisbee. They divided up into two massive teams and um, they started playing this game. And literally what a couple of the kids were doing was because um, they weren't that great at it. For the first five minutes, they were like literally chucking the Frisbee three yards to someone who leapfrogged them <laughs> they were leapfrogging it down the pitch and scoring a goal mm -hmm. and I was standing going oh my god this is horrendous all right I need to put a constraint on this like mm -hmm. you can't receive the same pass you need to be more than five yards I was back to I was like oh god someone turned up to start talking to me I was like oh this game's horrendous and it's just a bit I'll be totally honest I was just a bit knackered and it was only a, a lunchtime game so I was like this is horrific and we're standing there laughing and sort of taking the mickey amongst ourselves like they couldn't hear 
And we just sort of sat and watched it. And very slowly, it started to change. And the kids started to get involved. Like, oh, this is ridiculous. And uh, they started to change it. So, but after, it was literally five minutes of horrendous gameplay. After 10 minutes, a sort of reasonable game was starting to develop. But after 15 minutes, they were playing a brilliant game of it. It was absolutely fantastic. It was really good to watch. They were making some fantastic long passes, short passes, moving into space. It became quite energetic. And I was sitting there thinking, Christ, if I'd have been coaching that and it had been a formal coaching session, I would have jumped in, you know, mm. with five, less than five minutes gone. Mm. And actually, so... But that isn't always the case. It's a very tricky thing to find that challenge point, isn't it? It's like, yeah. how yeah. do you leave it before they start to ingrain a bad pattern or a bad movement or a bad X? And then how long do you leave it? to? sometimes that needs time to breathe and time to develop and time for them to formulate it themselves. I mean, uh, it's a great one, isn't it? And it's why, like, over time, there's certain we've all got our biases and, and you've got to watch where your biases, there's certain games that I'll gravitate towards that I know like most of the time we'll get because they're, they're tried and tested over years, yeah? That, that we'll get certain behaviours to, to emerge from, yeah? You, you know what to expect because you've done it so many times, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And but then you can, like we talked about earlier on, you can use those games and then shine a lens on certain individuals if you're in a group. Yeah. Uh, if needs be but yeah i mean how how do i use constraints as well i mean i'm just going to spitball a wee bit here as well use dice so there's games we'll play with dice where you'll throw dice and create random so i've got a dice that's got an arrow on it so basically i play short game games with it's round the green on a on a short game area where we'll throw dice and it's like dungeons and dragons dice i don't know i've just seen it in a shop and bought it and uh it's got an arrow on it and it basically points to the direction where you, you, you can chip from and it's, and it's got a number like so like so we do 10 paces or it's up to 20 so you can do 20 paces yeah and then that's where they've got to, like drop their ball and chip from right yeah but and then they can throw we throw another dice that's uh, one to ten uh, and that's how close they've got to hit it and feet right okay and then and then this is with pros and then uh Basically, it's like spread betting. So, like, well, like if they say get a four, that's four foot they've got to hit within, right? So we'll, and this is consensual, by the way. But we'll, uh, this is to get more of the the kind of cognitive load and the emotional side of it as well. So if they say they get a four foot one, uh, if they hit it to one foot, they're three pounds up on me, right? But if they duff it to like fifty foot, they are. 46 pounds down on me (laughs) (laughs) and then we accumulate over uh, we say like we're going to do this for an hour right and then sometimes like again this is the challenge point if it's getting out a little out of hand then i'll i'll step in and start making things a wee bit easier for them shall we say yeah when it hits five (laughs) (laughs) grand exactly when when the kids are uh, kids are fed and the, the wines in the, in the cellar we're all right <laughs> uh, but i mean that can create some real like cognitive like because they know if they don't if they're not on it they hit one poor shot they're getting hammered for it yeah do you um do you vary the amount of constraints work that you do according to pro or novice or sort of intermediate, you know, so like the pros would do some constraints led sessions like that, but the majority is other kind of activities and, and 
the the beginners are doing very constraints-based stuff. Or, uh, I get, but it just depends on if you're going to pros. It depends on where they are. So like uh, last year, we player was going up to compete up north, and we knew it was only two three days away. So we didn't do the cognitive load stuff. The consequences. It was more. We worked out the wind direction uh, for the golf course we were going to play on and then tried to simulate wind direction on the golf course where I'm based at and the, the sort of lengths of shots that he was going to get as well. We worked out like where he was going to drive to. We looked at the weather forecast, so we were creating wind conditions uh, and angles that, that, that were similar because we'd gone on a 3D map and had a look at like what angles he's going to be potentially hitting into greens and stuff like that and where the wind directions are going to come from and then just simulating. So it was low cognitive load, high representativeness of, of what he was about to do. Yeah, just yeah. Simu- simulating the, the golf shots he was about to do. For me, constraints is just overarching. So like a constraint, like when you talk about like intermediate, it may be swing work we're doing, but like a constraints are an analogy. A constraints are like a, a training need that I give them, like that constrains their the movement in the wrist or whatever. Yeah, but then it's it's then for me, like a lot of time I'll uh, it's a quote. I'm sure you've read Nick Winkleman stuff. I've not read his book yet, but I've I've, I've seen a lot of stuff he's talked on Twitter. And it's that co-creation of cues with the individual as well, so they've got something to hang their hat on. Yeah. And that goes back to history because mm. if you've been if you've been working with someone who you know is a rugby player, yeah. and then you need them to shift their weight, then you can get mm. them to do it as if they're passing the ball, which is exactly what you did. And that's why mm. you need to create that relationship, have a genuine conversation with someone. It's not a it's not a, a, an interrogation. It's just a how are you, what yeah. you what what sports do you play, you know. Just and then you yeah. can use that information to to guide those conversations to co-create constraints and uh, uh, absolutely so i'll give you i'll give you another example of this where uh, i was dem- i'm i'm a i would call myself a really good bunker player at golf right so i was demonstrating how to bunker shots out of golf to, to a golfer who was, wasn't very good at it like he was given a lesson right and i was saying you hear that sound splat right or like do you hear and like I was being overly prescriptive, and he was like, "I can't hear it, I can't hear it." And I said, "Well, what do you hear?" Yeah, and, right. And he and he was, I can't remember what he said, but it was like something I I would never ever have said, right? Like, and and that's what meant. Like, so I got him to do the way he was doing it, and then I said, "Try and replicate the sound that I was doing, and and, and how you described it." Yeah. And and that worked much better, and it kind of it got me. I nearly wrote a blog on this, but it got me thinking. Like I remember having an argument. Well, uh, this is years ago. It was a good argument, but it was, uh, it was a, <laughs> a, a a lot of uh, people round for a few drinks at our house, and one of my 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 wife's good friends, Karen, we Wonderwall came on, right? Oh, yeah. And we were we were, and Karen was saying that like it means more to us because it was our generation, right? And I was like, well, no, not really, because, like, if I'm 15-year-olds and listening to that, it still has meaning to them, yeah? Yeah. And, and uh, anyway, I got shouted down by the group because they were all biased. But but my my point is here, like, a song can mean different, a sound can mean di- yeah. different things to individuals, yeah? 
hundred percent. You only need to listen to me mm. giving directions to my wife because, mm. like, she has no idea what I'm talking about. You know, because <laughs> I was just saying, oh, you just head head east until you hit the. She's like, I don't know. Am I turning left or right? What's east? <laughs> Who cares? I don't know where east is. <laughs> if, if it's me and my dad, we're just like, oh, yeah, you just head 50, east east fifteen miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you've got to talk their language to them, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. I'll tell you what, the other thing that uh, we've we've never actually spoken about this, and I don't know if there's anything in it, but sound is quite an interesting one yeah, because yeah. Uh, I had a really fascinating chat with um, Sam Portland on the last podcast about speed, and he was talking about speed gate golf. So we have speed gates out, and, oh. and uh, they just time how 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 long it takes you to run through the gate, mm-hmm. so you know your 10 meter speed is, you know, you did mm-hmm. it at one point, 1.9 seconds or whatever. And he was trying to get them to run a slow 10 meters to run it in two seconds. Okay. Because we want them to relax and they're not trying as hard as they can. And one of the things that he noticed was they started to pick up the frequency of beep, beep, you know, the beeps. Mm-hmm. And they got to understand what it sounded like. And then going back to what you were saying about the feel and knowing the implement, it was almost like they got attuned to the speed gates. And then they, and he said, once two or one of them had got it, they're all like jumping up and down because he'd done it in two seconds dead. Cause you know, they're going yeah. two, two, one, two, two, yeah. 1.9 or whatever. Well, as soon as the first person got it and they, and then immediately that happened, two or three got it. And then, yeah. so you get five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10, because they're starting to attune to the sound and, yeah. and, and, could be funny you know rhythm can be and um, like beats can be a, a good um, yeah massively so yeah yeah it's something i'll use i've got a thing called tour tempo on my phone where it's like the beeps of like the the length of the swing and like the timing of the swing right. yeah and uh you know i mean we, the observational learning part as well you know the actual watching skilled performers and mirror neurons and you know like Tom Watson, famous golfer, uh, he talked about watching Sam Snead when he first got on the tour. Sam Snead had this beautiful flowing swing up until he was in his late 60s, early 70s, uh, and won, I think, 81 or 82 times in the PGA Tour. And Tom Watson talked about when he first got there, he just sat, put a chair down. Like he said, people in the range would pretend to watch Sam, like, like, like just out the corner of an eye, yeah? He said, I, I just, uh, no other grace, I just got a chair, sat beside him and watched him hit balls for hours. And he, he said, I got my rhythm and timing from Sam. Like, I just tried to mimic what he was doing. Like, I know we've gone off, like, sound here, but like, no. I think, the, I think the, the, the visual and the sound stuff, there's, there's a lot in that. I think there's, there's more in that than I've not figured it out yet. But, you know, even just the tone of your voice, so what so beginner lesson andy if you ever listen to this andy halloran right so andy halloran has got a golf swing he's took it up took golf up in the lockdown last 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 year right and we've been doing all the beginner stuff that we talked about before and he's got a golf swing like a blur like like so fast like it's just like and basically we've come up with a cue and it's me i just whisper and you see a smooth smooth and like he, he, he like we have a joke about it but like it really does help him right it's just yeah. like that 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 smooth and like I'll, I'll i'll just whisper in his ear before he's about to hit smooth and like and like he's got this in his head when he's away from me as well playing golf like when it when it, everything starts going awry it's just a smooth and like 
Uh, I watched a, an absolute expert at the like, dealing with juniors, uh, Neil Plimmer, just recently be on his podcast actually, and we were discussing a wee bit with us how it was just a masterclass in dealing with kids, like an absolute masterclass, right? Uh, I went down to see him about five, six years ago, and he had like the kids were very respectful and just so much control of them. But he like the way the tone of his voice and how he used that was like wow, that is like like we basically lowered the tone of his voice all the time, and then sometimes raised it, but lowered it so that they had to lower theirs to get to, to hear them and 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 like never you know there was no. He didn't have to shout or like you know it was it was just all under control, and and he used it with sound and 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 the way he spoke. I just thought it was fascinating watching him do that. It's, there is so much to that. Uh, again, like I, when I first ever started coaching, I had a very rowdy group of uh, sort of twelve year olds, and uh, they were really kicking off. A very inexperienced coach. It was only two thousand and five. I was coaching on Martin Johnson's um, coaching camps that he did, and like. I found out by mistake about that because they were all kicking off and like the more I was shouting, it was like chucking petrol on the fire. <laughs> and, and it was only when I was like, I was out of ideas, I was just sitting there with my head in my hands going, I don't even know what to do now, that they all started to shut up and slow down. And that was a lesson I learned back then. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're out screaming and shouting, you're just adding energy to the situation. If you want something to calm down, you mm-hmm. need to speak slowly yeah. and calmly. And it's a, very much the way that I try and operate now. And yeah. and equally, if you want to inject a bit of energy into a situation, if they're a bit dead and a bit flat, you need to you know. And as the yeah. coach, if you're if you're creating that tempo, and mm-hmm. there's just yeah, there, I, I think that is something the energy tempo. And if you're talking about watching, you know, the mirror neurons as well, I think uh, they talk a lot about the youngest in any family being the better sports person. And that tends to, there's, there's a few different reasons, but obviously they have to work harder to keep up with their siblings. So if they're yeah. out running, you know, if the kids run off down the road, the youngest yeah. has to work hard, but they've got a really good picture of what fast looks like and what strong yeah. looks like and big looks like. And, yeah. and a lot of a lot of people say that, don't they? Is that if you want to get better at something, you need to go and train with people who are better than you. Absolutely. And yeah. and, and, and the reason in that is that you get, you get those pictures of what, what good looks like and, and you're put under pressure when you're yeah. making a pass to that person or if you're playing golf against that person, you, you yeah. raise to that occasion. And it goes back to your consequences, doesn't it? And so have, have, what sort of mistakes have you made around your consequences, if we just sort of go back to that? Because I, I think the mistakes, like we said earlier, is where the, that's where the learning is, isn't it? Uh, again, it's not that. It's been too limited in my, like, not initially it was me dictating what the rules were like what the consequences were and like it not working but then you you quickly you know you, you start having a conversation with an individual and then uh, and yeah i mean it probably took me a few years to to understand that 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 the the consequences need to be relevant to the individual you know it's the old uh, story with michael jordan and jack jack nicholson you heard that one Oh, it's a, it's a beaut. So, like, they used to, you know, uh, they got the actor Jack Nicholson. Yeah, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and all that. Yep. So, they used to play for, like, serious cash, like, ridiculous amount of money, like, duffel bags, like, changing hands and stuff. And, and 
I can't remember if it was Michael Jordan or, or, or Jack. Basically, one of them said, look, this is getting out of hand. That like, and it doesn't really mean anything to us. Like, we can go and do a commercial tomorrow or whatever. And, you know, like, this money, you know, has no meaning. So the next day they decided to play, it was like, I think it was Bel Air, like a fancy, really fancy golf club. They just, two of the, the most, you know, kind of famous people in the world at the time, this a few years ago. And they said, right, whoever loses tomorrow has to shine the other person's shoes in front of the club, a packed clubhouse. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they, they said it was the most intense game they've ever played in their life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there wasn't a dollar on it, you know? Exactly, yeah. yeah. There's no money in it. So so it was. I think it's finding, finding relevance to the individual. You know, generally, I mean, the general themes were kind of adolescence where you... You know, you mentioned iPads and iPhones and, like, I'll play little games around, like, how many days you get extra of it or, or less of it, you know, and, 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 uh, and yeah, I mean, that can, I mean, one game I played where there's a girl, Rachel, comes up from Newcastle who the journey back's about three, four hours and we worked out she had six hours of kind of daylight before she went to bed. So six hours we played with regards to, our our iPhone, and uh, and that we went on the golf course and like threw dice for like a one to six and like basically you're you are it was a wind off the left with a trouble right that she she didn't like or she doesn't like and uh, so we threw a dice on the tee one to six basically that's how many hours we're playing for for that shot right so if you roll a six that's six hours six you miss this. You miss the shot, we're done, right? You got no, uh, you got no fun tonight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. And uh, but then put our in context with like the wind off the left and trouble right, yeah. And uh, and obviously, if she nailed the task, we give her. I think I think give her an extra hour, yeah. So, but just little games like that 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 are relevant to what we're working on, and then the consequences relevant to the individual. And I suppose what the, the old phrase is, what, what you want is where you least want to look for it. So, yeah. uh, or in filth, it will be found is the other way of saying that. Yeah. And yeah. so it's you knowing what they don't want to do. So how does that come about? Do they sort of tell you or yeah. do, you sort of, do you notice like you're really bad playing with the wind off your left? Or, so, or, you know? no, no. Uh, again, it's asking questions, like understanding, like, like with, with Rachel, it was more she can figure out how to hit a golf ball, but scores aren't sometimes shown that way. So it's like actually getting her way to have a going to have a think about shots that that didn't feel comfortable with, and that was one that that came to mind. So and then and then we put a little bit of SOP in there as well. We we came up with cues that helped her and, and the word commit for her. Like, so she just just before she hit this shot, she like a committed practice swing, and then and just before she hit, she would she would she would say to herself commit, and and that that worked for her. Yeah, it's about establishing that natural natural relationship, isn't it? Because I think sometimes it can be very sort of um, a bit of a one way street where you know the coaching control and the athlete standing distance and what do we do then yes and then we do yes <laughs> so it's, I, I in everything uh, that i do is i'm trying to be a lot more conversational yeah with my interactions with my athletes rather than rather than interrogative or you know the 
to pat it. I think that that approach only takes you so far, and it, it can be useful in certain sub- circumstances. But I think uh, if that's all you've got in your toolbox, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, anything else from from the sort of constraints? That, I mean, um, we're sort of assuming. I think constraints is like you said has been talked about a lot, and I think my, most people have got the the basics of it. I, I was more interested in getting into the practical applications of the constraints is there anything else that you found so you know obviously you can have analogies you can have um external focuses of attention and i'm seeing some really great examples of that now that if you like you said you that back in the day there wasn't much chat about about these things it it really kicked off around about 9 10 and it sort of faded out a little bit now but what you do see is you see a lot of great examples of it you see some really good examples particularly snc is starting to pick this up now where if they're getting someone to do a, a hinge pattern or a bend pattern, you know, they'll give give them a target to bend to put the ball on or whatever, you know, and it's like you, you start to see that that coming to go together quite well. Is there is there anything else from the practical application you think that we should see more of or less of or anything around that sort of area? Uh, I think well golf, what's been quite prevalent is the use of technology now. So okay, like yeah. the simulators and data and and I think there's a tendency to over rely on it, like over rely. I'd, for me, it's data informed, not data led. Yeah. yeah, using it to just inform your coaching, not not lead your coaching sessions. Yeah, uh, I know. I mean, I, I remember when we met a few years ago. There was one a guy did it in rugby. Who was that rugby? Sean rugby. Williams. Sean yeah, Williams wrote. Yeah, he's, written, he's written two yeah. papers about it now, actually, which yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll link to. Yeah, I mean, he did a talk as well. It was a really good one at uh, Skillac. Yeah, uh, it was very much data led, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that is interesting again because if you talk about complex systems, if you talk about constraints, if you talk about game in the system, rugby has become very, uh, very data reliant, and you know the the numbers are put up in front of the players. They're, they're sometimes beating with a stick about the data, about how many metres they've run and stuff. And and that's where you can start to see, uh, I think it's, uh, is it the Hawthorne effect, where um, you, if you hold someone by a measure, that, that, that measure ceases to be effective because there was like, Will Green was the really famous thing, is that he was a very, very good rugby player. He could read the game unbelievably well. And so he didn't need to run that much in the game because he would just coast to the, he would know where the ball's going to be in five plays time. Mm. And he'd yeah. put himself in a position. But they were whacking him over the head to say, Will, you're terrible with your, your metres, they're terrible. Um, you're not getting anywhere near the distances that everyone else is running. So <laughs> that's why he's in every single try celebration. Because if someone scored a try, he'd run 80 metres <laughs> to be in the try celebration because he'd get his distances up. It was nothing to do with playing the game. So that's, that's a really good example of how people, uh, the coaches mis- misuse the data and then the players beat the system <laughs> by yeah, yeah. Strap- strapping their heart rate monitor to a dog while they're supposed to be in lockdown doing, <laughs> doing their recovery <laughs> runs or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, or running exactly. around making celebrations. He was doing, uh, there was a break in play and he was doing shuttle runs. That's how they worked him out because they saw him doing shuttle runs. And someone said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm getting my, getting my distance up. <laughs> and, then the coach, and the coaches worked it out and they're like, oh, okay, you're gaming the system here. <laughs> so, so I think, um, what about um, video review? So do you, uh, this is quite a thing now where people will uh, video someone taking a, a, a goal kick in rugby or obviously video someone swinging in golf and then 
review that and break it down and talk all yeah that. yeah i think for me it's again the misuse of that uh how i use it i use it for reinforcement like motivational so a bit of research on regards to when you show it so i'll give the the individual opportunity i'll i'll let them have autonomy of it like when would you like to see it you tell me yeah uh but i'll also when i'm so so for example if the rate limit are is somebody's something to do with somebody's backswing that how the wrist move in their backswing right and we give them simple analogy for moving their, their left wrist more like a motorcycle right but then I'll do a scaling system where one's your old movement and tens like the absolute extreme of your new movement, right? And then we'll play about the scale, like call out numbers and do it. But uh, we'll do a before and after to show them because a lot of the time when you've got a, a movement pattern that's been ingrained for a while, right? The feel and the real will not be matched. So like they, they, I'll say a 10 on the scale to them or they'll call it out, right? And you'll show them on video and they'll go, Christ, that's barely changed at all, right? But it feels like I'm going crazy with that. And I'm like, now, now it needs to be a 50 or whatever. So I use it for reinforcement of you can overdo this. Like, so a lot of the time I'll say, and you because we listen video, but basically, like if your movement patterns at the at floor level, right? And if we try and change it by just going a little bit, Namby Pamby, you like like little bit, kind of just a little bit, right? Well, your movement patterns maybe been there for thirty years, right? Like if we go itty bitty with this, it's not going to move, right? Because it's so so ingrained. Yeah. So if you wanna, if we want to make change to this, and then I'll use scaling systems so they've got a feedback system when they're away from me, right? Is we we've got to do fifty on the scale. We've got to go absolutely crazy with this, yeah really yeah. emphasize it overemphasize it yeah give it a kick up the backside yeah 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 i think um the other thing is that going back to what you're saying about um their proprioception so their awareness of their body and time and space quite often i'll say to we'll be watching kids in the gym and be talking about their foot position or whatever and I, this is one of the big things i try to do now is try to ask them rather than tell them so it's like where yeah. where, where are your feet pointing yeah where are your knees going and then they'll tell me and then i'll video it and i say right where were they going and mm-hmm. they'll tell me and then i'll show them on the video like oh okay but mm-hmm. try not to do it too often and then maybe a couple of weeks later is then show them the difference and keep the old video so you've got the comparison mm-hmm. say look yeah. this is what you were doing three weeks ago this is what it looks like now and oh yeah, yeah. okay okay i sort of see it and yeah. And I think some of that tends to then sort of fade away, doesn't it? And you can you can fade that out yes. of the of their. So just sometimes again, you can you've got to know the rules to break the rules. You don't want to give someone too much information, but if you fade that out, it's, it starts to become yeah. automatic, and then it's not so much of an issue. Absolutely, and then if you're using cueing like scaling system of that movement, you're you're creating variability in there. You're creating. I mean, it opens up all sorts of conversations with regards to movement isn't the same from one day to another like like a, a cure a feeling like because we're not robots can change from day to day yeah so like someday there's these things called cues or swing fields where somebody can have 
a famous golfer called Gary Player basically said he was asked the question why he was getting a golf lesson at the Masters a few years ago, and he was basically said, "Look, I've won over a hundred tournaments in in three continents, and every single one's been with a different swing feeling or thought, right?" And and he said, "Yeah, sure, some some are some are some are similar, but they've they've all been different, right?" Because that goes back to us not being robots and changing from day to day, yeah. And uh, he basically said, "Your your 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 golf swings on rent uh, out for rent, and the rent's due every day, right?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think, I mean, any sports person could tell you that they feel differently from day to day, can't they? You know, that's yeah. not. I mean, flu. What is it? Remember speaking to Ollie Logan about this. He's involved with a bio skill acquisition guy and and with swimming as well, biomechanic. And a few studies done, or was it Ian that told me? I can't remember. Uh, with regards to long haul flights, changes your feelings. You're you're basically like, and even in my masters, I interviewed seven European tour golfers, and three of them said to me that they never practice on the day that they land on a long haul flight. Okay. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't know the research on this. But because your swollen fingers and your, you know, your, like, like it changes your feelings. So they ended up basically hitting the ball shite on that when they've landed, right, and started tinkering with the golf swing, right, when they didn't need to. They just needed a day's rest, and and and, and they intuitively figured out that I I I play worse if I go and hit balls after a long haul flight. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So so long haul flights changes your feelings. Your Procession, your kinesthetic awareness, uh, viruses do as well, like bugs do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and obviously, then soreness from playing a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, there can yeah. be a, a whole range of factors, can't there? I think even like uh, having an argument with someone can tense you uh, up, stress you up. Uh, absolutely, hundred percent. Like a long day at the office. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, the book we wrote last year, I used myself as an example where. Like I came, I came late to coaching in my early thirties, and I worked in IT for a bit. And I worked in Glasgow, which is about an hour and hour and a half drive in the morning, and then they're back. And I'd I'd do either sit at a desk or do a bit of surveying work. So I was out in a car or sitting at a desk for sitting for a long time, and I'd go and play with the boys at night. I have six in Edinburgh, so I'd like basically screech in the car park, get my my, my tin flute off. And then, uh, like, run on the tee at 25 minutes past six, right? I've been sitting all day, right? And it took me about six months to realize that, like, I hit the ball terrible for the first three holes, just, like, awful. It took me three months to realize that, like, I was stiff as a board. So, basically, yeah. I changed the way I, I I hit the golf ball. Like, I moved the ball position and like further back because my body was stiff, right? And then once I'd walked a mile or so on the on the golf course, then I I, I changed that. Yeah. So you you identified your own rate limiter. Ah, it took me a while, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I identified it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I suppose um, having these conversations with your players or your athletes is you, you you start to introduce these concepts to them, and then you can show them a rate rate limiter, a simple one, something, like, and then they start to think about it themselves, don't they? And they start to yeah. identify things within themselves. And I always say the best yeah. person to the best person to come up with any intervention or any decision is you. Yeah, you just sometimes you don't even know what question to ask, 
yeah. let alone how to answer it. So that you need to know what questions to ask and then and then answer it and get it wrong, which will give you some feedback. And then you can start oh. to refine your answers. Exactly the same as the way that we coach, isn't it? It was what we oh. were talking about earlier. Is you yeah. go out, put these constraints on, they go wrong, then you refine, yeah. retune. and so, and so Yeah, so then that, that, that opens up a different conversation of, like, if we change from day to day, then it would be useful to have some armory, right? So, like, it's neuro, neuro, uh, it's always hard for me to say this one. Basically, it's degeneracy, the neurobiological de- degeneracy. Basically, the ability to perform a task in numerous different ways. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, okay. So, so, uh, example of this would be Nick Faldo in his prime. He said he had three different fades. That's a shot that goes left to right. And he said, if one wasn't working, I'd go to the other. And if the other wasn't working, I'd go to the other, right? So, and that's what came out by research interviewing European Tour golfers. I asked them, how often are you on your A game in terms of rounds per year? And they gave, basically came back 10%. 10% of the time they are, are playing at, at their best, right? So then my next question was, well, what do you do when you're not playing your best? And they all talked about having... Uh, different strategies of hitting the golf ball like basically stock shots right so then for me teaching aspiring golfers now it's like i've got a spreadsheet that we fill in and like have a look at their armory like what armory do you have in performance right and a lot of time with developing golfers they don't have enough armory right they've only got one shot to go to i'm like well what happens when you've not got that one shot to go to you're you know up shit creek yeah so uh, yeah, so how? Do, what sort of things would you do to develop if they've only got the one? How do you how do you get more stock? So again, so then then it's uh, we we op- it opens up a conversation. It's like a big shout out to Sue Morgan here as well. He's really helped me with this. Uh, is opens up the conversation with regards to I've got another sheet kind of bit of my spreadsheet which develop development armory, right? So it's like. What's, is there any low-hanging fruit here that shots that you play in practice that you would you're not quite comfortable yet in performance, but you know you 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 can do occasionally, and or what shots would you like, or what shots come to mind? And players always have an idea of like shots that you know that potentially we could work on, and then we create lots of little performance games and practice games around that. Right, and if I'm not their technical coach, I'll I'll say to them, "I'll go and speak to your technical coach, and like here's some of the ideas. Which one would potentially what you guys could work on to make it more stable in inverted commas? Yeah, to make it more performance worthy. Yeah, so it's just adding to that armory. I know that England rugby had that. They called it the hundred percenter. And it was basically they had. Um, I think it was. I think it was two, one or two moves, strike moves that they had, that they knew inside out, back to. If you could have blindfolded them, they would have been yeah. able to to run that move. And when the game was going badly, if things weren't going their way, I think this was under Woodward actually. Is they would someone would just call hundred percent, hundred percent because they they knew they could get a, a, a confident strike move in might get them ten uh-huh. yards or whatever, but they knew they'd execute it. No one would drop the ball; it would all go properly. Well, it would reset them and get them back to where they need to be. That's exactly it. Exactly. That's that's exactly what like in a rugby context. Exactly what we're talking about in golf. Yeah, it, it's funny because there's another story about that I heard. Um, 
And it was, a, it was actually about a psychologist getting in trouble for breaking the confidence of the player. And he was working with a young player and the player was making a few mistakes, certainly in the first couple of minutes of a game, very young, very inexperienced. And uh, the psychologist gave, he said, like, if things start to go wrong, put yourself in a position where you can receive the ball easily and pre-plan the pass you're going to make, which is a 100% pass. Get yourself in the game by doing that kind of... The, the mm. reason for the story was that then the psychologist told the football manager. And <laughs> what happened was this kid was playing a game, mucked up, made a couple of mistakes, and then tried to play a really hard ball. And the manager shouted, he said, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to just take an easy pass and give an easy pass. And the kid was looking at the psychologist in the stands going, you know, it was supposed to be a private conversation oh, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. all sort of broken the confidence. But I think, again, that's, that's an important thing because as coaches, you know, you can be there to give that scaffolding, which would be your checklist manifest, manifestos. Like, if things go wrong, what can you do? What can you fall back on that you know is going to work for you and work well? Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything else that came out of your masters? So your masters was interviewing uh, some some pro golfers about about uh, about their practice. What- yeah, it was uh, more about their development, and uh, so what came out basically that the we compared their kind of development environment at amateur status in Scotland to the Royal Scottish European Tour players to what they faced on the European Tour and all of them described the golf courses in Scotland not being representative of Tour golf. So basically the golf courses in Scotland were much shorter, the conditions were different, windier, the golf courses were more penal, so they were, the fairways were narrower, uh, which which over-constrained them. And, and, and three, three of the guys interviewed said if they hadn't gone to America, they would not be playing professional golf. So basically, they went collegiate America and played in golf courses that were more representative of performance. And the the the, the guy that I interviewed who had a, has had the most success on tour out of the seven that I interviewed is one over ten million on tour. He really he had quite a successful amateur career and realised quite quickly that the Scottish environment or the the amateur environment was not conducive for him turning pro and actually delayed turning pro and went to America and trained on golf courses that are more representative of what he was going to face on tour. So quite a sharp cookie. Yeah. Uh, so what else? Uh, what we talked about there about the about the representativeness I think that's it. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's good. And the, the other thing you said is you've written a book. So you, you wrote that with um, Ian Renshaw and was it with Graham as well? Graham, Graham Adele, yeah, yeah. yeah. Constraints-led approach to golf coaching. Yeah, so there's basically how we are practically applying a constraints-led approach to golf. But I've had a few coaches even from football that have read it and said they really enjoyed it because it gave them context of like how it's been applied in another sport. I've always really valued that is talking to you about what you're mm. doing and because no. they're print because it's principles. So you're talking Likewise. about the, yeah, the yeah. principles of constraints or the principles yeah. of representative learning. It's really easy then to translate that into a, into a rugby context. And so yeah. to, to think about those issues. A hundred percent. I think, I think for me, 
with, especially with the skill acquisition stuff, I've found that much more useful speaking to yourself or people that are playing it in different sports. And that's not to say that I've not learned lots of people playing it in golf, but I think it's it's looking at it through a different lens and just going, like even just little things like, I remember, oh, Stuart, rugby kicking coach, what's his second name? Lyric. That's the one, yeah. Right, him posting a YouTube game with regards to kicking. And it was like he went easy, he went hard to easy, like yeah. scaled it, right? And then I've got this pro golfer who you give him the hardest shot in the world and he, he, like, he'll really concentrate and like do really well with that, right? But then like he basically switches off sometimes when it's a, an inverted commas easier shot. So we, we, we've tailored his practice to that. So we'll, we'll make the, the end game, the end part of the game, the easiest part, right? Yeah, yeah. And like he has to complete easy tasks to complete this task at the end of the game, not at the start of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 To put him under that, to, to make him concentrate mm. on the easy bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. again, you've identified the rate limiter there. Yeah. But it was actually him. He 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 brought it up, and then I carried for him, and we've seen that behaviour as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose if you've got a good relationship with your athlete or your player, then they feel comfortable to be able to bring that up to you, wouldn't they? Because I think uh. certainly in rugby, if we go back to that thing we were saying about uh, the data uh, piece, you know, a lot of rugby players, particularly in the pro game, feel under the cosh. Yeah. I can't imagine too many of them going to the coach to say, yeah, yeah, I've, the, the, I'm terrible at this part of my game because like, <laughs> yeah. they're under pressure, aren't they? I, I don't yeah, yeah. think they'd sort of feel comfortable to do that. But I, I think um, where you can create that environment, then that, as a coach, that gives you so much information, gives you so much to work with. So what was yeah. the name What was the name of the book? Yeah, Constraints-Led Approach to Golf. Golf okay, coaching, that, sorry. Golf coaching, yeah. And that, that's by you, Ian Renshaw. Graham McDowell. And so what's your next project? You've got another project now that you're just... Yeah, so when we were researching the last book, Ian and I stumbled across a ton of stuff on Tiger Woods' development and how it linked to skill, like basically skill acquisition principles. And like, it was an absolute goldmine of information on like how Tiger learned and how, you know, even just his first 10 years, how it was like games-based stuff. It was very task simplification. It was uh, I just... Uh, so much of it aligned to the kind of skill acquisition literature. So we're, we're basically doing a, a series of kind of ebooks with support from Ian and I um, going through his whole development, linking it back to key principles. So like first, first, uh, first chapter, I've just literally just about finished it there, as regards to Tiger and his dad giving him a a putter at six months old like a like a cut down putter and he dragged it around the house but then that was tiger the initial start of tiger becoming attuned to that tool yeah yeah and, yeah 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 and then like observational learning so by by tiger's dad was a one handicapper golfer so he was a really good golfer and basically they worked out by the time tiger was one he'd watched nearly 200 hours of his dad hitting balls in the net because basically they had their dinner like in his high chair and the, his dad had a net in, in the, the garage and like his wife, uh, Katilda, basically fed him, you know, fed him while he was watching uh, Errol hit golf shots. So like uh, there's loads of observational learning there and like Errol said, 
is on record saying that like it was a miracle that you know his son basically when he he came out of his high chair and hit, whacked a ball first time. It's like it's not a miracle because he's been dragging a golf club around for ages and he's watching him hitting you know hundreds of golf shots. So and what do kids do? They mimic, don't they? That's amazing. Yeah, that is but, really amazing. So then we you know we go into you know how why that was important for his development and then we give exercises for any level so it's beginner to elite player pro level uh, so we we give exercises for you to apply to your own game so we're basically going what did tiger do as part of the chapter then the middle parts why why is it important so going a little bit in the sciencey part yeah but not make it ridiculously difficult just cover one concept and then the last part of the chat, each chapter is like, how can you apply it to your own game? So, like, lots of exercises for you to do for your own golf game. So, so and what's that called? Train Like a Tiger. And is that is that the website as well? Is yeah, it? that's the website. Yeah. www.trainlikeatiger.com. Yeah. And are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter, at Peter Arnott Golf. And Instagram, same. Um, okay. So, yeah, just shout out if you want to get in touch. Love to hear yeah. from you. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd really recommend people do that because um, we've had some fantastic conversations. And I think the other thing you sort of talk about talking to different people, one thing about talking to different people is outside your sport, outside your major areas, you can be totally honest. And you've always been totally, totally honest with me. And as you people hear from the podcast, you know, you're very open about mistakes you made or things you've learned. You're very giving and free of your time and and information in that respect so i think it's it's really helpful to be able to do that is to sit down with someone outside your sport and say oh pete you wouldn't believe what i just did in this rugby session <laughs> <laughs> and how bad the players how bad the players took it and the yeah, it was horrendous and we'll have a laugh about it and have a chat but that, there is so much key learning there uh, you know as a coach uh, uh, absolutely i think there's principles as well that that overarch any sport or like any learning domain isn't there there's there's not like like we can sit and have a laugh at it and you'll tell me something and I'll go, oh, I've done something similar in a golf context, you know. Yeah. And and it's the sort of thing that you see everywhere, isn't it? So uh-huh. once once you start to understand the principles of skill acquisition, yeah, you, you start to see them everywhere. And, and you know, like, it's, it's funny, the sort of situations that I find myself in, applying constraints and things. Or, you know, uh, like yeah. my friends come around with their little kids and that and I'm, like, playing a game with them. Yeah, and, like, exactly. All of a sudden, like whacking some constraints in and say, "What well, do you reckon you could be able to get that bike to to go all the way down the yard and turn right?" And just about <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I like, my, my, I can hear my my wife's tutting like when I'm watching like a coaching session that's maybe not, uh, you know, with a I've got six and a seven year old, and I'm like, mm, I don't, I'm not, I'm not liking that. <laughs> and she's like, "Shut up!" <laughs> just with it. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, aye, no, uh, I really appreciate you having me on. So it's been really, really enjoyable chat. Ah, mate, it's been fantastic. Thanks ever so much. So yeah, so people can catch you on Instagram, or we'll put all the links in the in the mm-hmm. show notes. The Instagram or Twitter, mm-hmm. or, or trainlikeatiger.com, Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Great stuff. Thanks ever so much, Pete, and we'll catch up soon. Cheers, sir.